That's a good thing. Somebody say amen. We want to draw your attention again tonight to a familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to keep right on with it for the next few weeks. Uh, John, 1 John 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, verse 15. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Everybody say praise the Lord. Somebody say thank you for your word, O Lord. I wanted to speak to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Scripture's emphatic in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, love not the world. Everybody say the world. From this passage, we understand a delineation between two things, the world and the things that are in the world. It's not enough for the word to say, love not the world, but the word goes on to say, neither the things that are in the world. So when the scripture says, love not the world, there's a number of points in this passage. When you read it, you understand that if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Then it says, if you love the world, don't misunderstand that the world, the world is the place of origin for the things that are in the world. The scripture says not only is the world a place of origin for the things in the world, but it says the world and the things in the world are going to pass away. So when we think about the things that are in the world, this passage says their origin is the world, so they are inherently worldly because that's where they came from. It says, all that is in the world. Somebody repeat that with me. All that is in the world. Let's say it again. All that is in the world. And that word all, I don't think we need to find the Greek definition of that. I think all of us here tonight can pretty much understand what that statement is saying. It's saying that everything that is in the world is not of God, but is of this world. So everything in this world is worldly. And it, not only the world, but everything in it is passing away. So in life, we must prepare to ask ourselves a very important question. Not, is this or that going to send me to hell? But I think we better start asking ourselves, is this of the world or worldly, or is this of God? We gave you some examples last week of things that are fallen, things that are worldly, that are in a dying uh, world. Politics. I mean, we, we can walk through D.C. and see that this nation was was founded on godly principles and on a nation that was uh, at early stages founded on godly, uh, uh, godly principles. Somebody say amen. But politics, as you have discovered without a divine intervention, the trend is always 
downward. We are just about as godless as we, have, as we can be for that matter. In the area of commerce or trade, uh, when you begin, you say, well, that's in the world, but that's not. Well, it is of the world and it's worldly. I mean, think about it. Lucifer was the first trader. He was, I guess you could say he was the first Wall Street trader. He bartered with Eve for her eternal soul. Think about education. Oh, education, oh no, that still exists. Well, sure it does. But we discovered last week every Ivy League school was started to educate ministers for our uh, fledgling nation way back in the early uh, days of our nation. And look how far those, uh, those schools of higher learning have gone. Just, just, uh, just check out the speeches of their commencements. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? You don't have to look very far to see that education has degenerated. Look at, come to find out your tools, all the metals, the things, your shovel, your hammer. Uh, Notice none of those things were in the garden. You do notice that, right? You do notice that God gave Adam a job to take care of a garden and he didn't give him any tools. You know why he didn't have tools? He didn't need them. He didn't need tools to take care of it in a godly fashion. But when sin entered the world, we got to have tools. Do you know who made tools first? It was Cain who was a forager of metal and began to make cutting instruments and eventually swords. Its very origin is of this earth. And the sword is always in competition with the plow. They are of the earth, earthly. Think about music. And arts, thank uh, Brother Aaron and this music team tonight for leading us into the presence of the Lord. But you must also understand that Cain is the one also that originated, the scripture tells us, with the development of the pipe and the harp. These originated in a earthly fashion. This is why we better worship for something deeper than just a nice song we like. No, you're not hearing me, but I'm going to say on anyway. I wonder what would happen if the electricity went out. Would we be able to worship? I'll never forget it. We had a friend Sunday, and this has been a long time ago. We had a friend Sunday plan in this church, and, and sure enough, this audit, we were still having church in this room, and the place was packed with guests, and about 15 minutes before church started, the electricity went out, and we didn't know what we were going to do. We were scrambling. We had special songs prepared, and the choir was ready to sing, and everything was ready to go, and that, what do we do, Pastor? And I said, well, if the electricity doesn't come back on, we're just going to worship God with no music. We're just going to sing, and, and we'll, just, we'll just do, uh, we'll, we'll just see how, how spiritual we are. <laughs> And sure enough, the power didn't come back on and, and uh, we didn't know what else to do. So we just came out and, and started singing some songs that most people would know. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost started blowing through this room. And it was proof positive on that Sunday that, that what we really need is the Spirit of God. That's what we cannot do without. <laughs> we can do without everything else, but we cannot do without the presence of the Lord. Somebody say amen.
I thank God for the sound system. It helps my voice tremendously. I thank God for the music. I'm, I'm a musician. That's, that's a gift God gave me and I've dedicated to give it back to Him. And I thank God for that. But I want to tell you what, friend, when it's all said and done, we need the Lord in His presence in our lives. And that's what gives us life everlasting. It's not our... Oh, come on now. Amen. I, I love those old songs of Zion. In fact, there's, there's a couple of them that when I hear the first few strains of their melody, uh, it, it pulls me emotionally because it's talking about Calvary and the blood and the power of the blood, and I thank God for that. But I want to tell you, friend, everything in this earth is earthly, and it's passing away. Amen. One of these days we're going to sing, and we're not going to need to know the choir song in our part. We're going to sing the songs of Zion. It's the song of the redemption. How different the church is. I want you to think about it. Politics is going downhill. In commerce, they're cheating folks left and right. In agriculture, we talked about that. The Bible says cursed is the ground. And you want to know how, how bad it's cursed? Just leave it alone for a while and you'll find out how cursed it can get real fast. And this is what we live, where we live in the world we live in. Education's going downhill. And everything seems to be of this world, world worldly. But how different it is with the church. The Holy Ghost is the principle of life in her. The Holy Ghost is what gives her light and power and strength. Somebody say amen. In fact, John chapter 1 says, In him was life, and speaking of Jesus, and that life was the light of men. But notice, they did not receive that light because they loved darkness rather than light. I want to tell you what, friend, the light is here if you want it. Power is here if you want it. Greater life is here if you want it. Oh, clap your hands under this, under the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So that leads me tonight to say to you, this world and the things in this world are perishing. I feel called of God to preach to this church in this series, a season of time about the things of this world. They are perishing. Life is only in Jesus Christ. That's the only place there is life. Somebody say amen. And in fact, when we think about that, so let's go a little further tonight and start talking about what it means to be a child of God. That means that separation to God and separation from this world is a very important thing in my walk with God. In fact, the word holy, if you took life development, you came to understand the word holy means drawn out or set apart. It means separated unto God. That's what holiness is. It's not about something you put on or do or don't do. Holiness is about drawing away from this world and drawing into a secret place with God. I want to be holy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They've got a promise. And what is it? For they shall see God. I want to be pure in His eyes. And John, in his revelation of Jesus Christ, was shown two irreconcilable extremes. In fact, I want you to consider it tonight in Revelation uh, chapter in Revelation. We find where John is uh, see two, sees two worlds. 
and they are at opposite ends of the spectrum, if you want to call it. They are poles apart. And in Revelation chapter 17, John sees one end of the spectrum and he's carried away into the wilderness. Everybody say into the wilderness. To see, the Bible tells us, Babylon, he sees a woman. She's called the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. And the Bible tells us that he's carried away into the wilderness and he sees Babylon, the mother of harlots. But don't forget, in chapter 21, verse 10, he's carried away again by the same spirit. But now he's not going to the wilderness. He's carried away to a great and high mountain where he sees the bride the lamb's wife and he says this woman is robed in white this woman is robed in pure garments the contrast is clear to have God's view of things you have to go to the mountaintop from the wilderness you may see something of Babylon if you look on this world you're going to see a harlot system decked out in all of her gold and precious jewels and if you're not careful she can allure you but John said I saw another woman and she was dressed in pure and linen garments and her she was like the lamb's wife the new Jerusalem you need a spiritual revelation to see God's Jerusalem I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in the church of the living God. And I know she's not perfect. So I understand that what we see may not be what God sees. Much like Job when God said he's perfect. He's an upright man. He loves good and he hates evil. But Job a few chapters later says that he's not perfected or he feels like he's got some mistakes. But maybe it's that way with the church. When I look at it from this side, I look at it with all of its struggles and all of its difficulties. But maybe when I get up into that high mountain of God and I realize that God has a vision of his church she's a bride without spot wrinkle or any such thing I'm glad to be a part of that bride Babylon is a great city everybody say a great city yeah she'll fake you out she's a great city the new Jerusalem is a holy city Babylon is a great city That bride is a holy city. Let me preach to young adults here tonight that Babylon's got your eye. Let me remind you she's in a wilderness, but she's a great and mighty city. But I'm calling you to look back to a holy city that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Let me remind you that Babylon is a harlot. I don't know if I need to explain this. We're in mixed company. But a harlot uh, uh, takes your money and makes you feel good. I guess that's the best way to put it. And if all your work about is feeling good no wonder you're intoxicated no wonder you're drugged up till you can't see straight no wonder you've got your eyes on the harlot because she's making you feel good but she's robbing you of your precious inheritance but I'm here to promote a bride that calls you out of this world into a secret place yeah it's a holy church yes it's without spot wrinkle or blemish Oh, give the Lord praise right now. I'm glad to be a part of the church. So as I preach to you tonight, let me remind you, and I don't 
have time to read it all tonight. But I will say to you that when John in chapter 17 of Revelation sees this harlot, she's decked out in all kind of colors. And uh, the Bible talks about her influence and how many she influences. And the Bible talks about powerful men and paupers. And it doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. They are enticed by Babylon. And then the Bible talks about that holy city. And John begins to describe that holy city. And he said, there's a wall around her. I want you to hear this tonight. I saw that holy city and there was a wall around her. And there were gates on her walls. And that was for the coming and going of the Spirit of God. But in the writings of Revelation, the Bible tells us that John focuses on that wall. Everybody say a wall. There's a wall around her. That's very important. A wall is for protection. A wall is to keep out anything that's unwanted. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the Song of Solomon, I know we don't preach out of that much because people might think it's a little perverted. But in the book, it's not perverted in any way. It's a love story. But in the Song of Solomon, there's a question about the little sister. In fact, if you read it, you, you know, you don't want to read this to your kids during your Bible reading because the question is, we have a little sister who has no breast. And he goes on and he's just, he's just describing her age. She's young. She's an adolescent. And, and the, the question that goes out about her in the day of her test, in the day of her temptation, he says when the temptation is over about her, his little sister, he says the question goes forth, in that day has she been a wall or has she been a door? And if she's been a wall, we're going to celebrate her. We're going to raise her up. But if she's been a door, if she's been access to everybody and everything, I want to tell you what people of God you better start denying access to the things of this world no I'm going to preach on tonight oh hallelujah come on let's worship the Lord oh yes I know I'm preaching I'm preaching to kids it has got games. You better start denying access to the things of this world. You better start building a wall in your life and say, I'm not going to let that in my eyes. I'm not going to let that in my mind. I'm not going to let that in my heart. Oh. And some of you adults are playing more games than these kids up here. And you better say in your own heart, I'm going to guard my mind. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm not going to let the world creep into my city. Oh, come on. Let's give the Lord praise tonight. She's got a wall. She's got a wall. In other words, we have been designed by the Holy Ghost to love absolutely uncompromisingly and without prejudice. Somebody say amen. Amen. But we also must understand that this bride, which is the church, this holy city that you've got to go to the mountain to see, But you've got to get in the thin air to see. Listen now, you can't see what the church is all about while you're messing around in the wilderness of this world. 
But if you'd climb the mountain and say, Lord, show me what I've been missing out on, you'd see the glory of the church of the living God. And the Bible says we've entered a kingdom of distinctiveness. Yes, we need to love uncompromisingly and without prejudice. Nobody's too far for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are all testimonies that the blood reaches to the lowest valley and reaches to the highest mountain. But Satan hates for us to have a distinctive. Satan hates our wall. In fact, Nehemiah in his day began the journey to rebuild the wall and he faced great opposition. People said, you don't need a wall. People said, your wall won't ever stand up. People said, you're wasting your time. Satan hates the message that I'm preaching tonight that God has called his church to be holy. I wish I would get more than a nod from some of you parents. I wish I'd get more than just a nod from some of you men. God has called us to build a wall. And build we must. Build we must. Build we must. Men, you need to build a wall. Ladies, you need to build a wall. Young people, you need to build a wall. There is no end to what the devil will do to try to sneak in the window or around to the back door to get you to take your wall down, to say, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Let me remind you that Adam and Eve were in a garden and that garden was in place, a garden, the name was Eden. Everybody say Eden. That's right. You do recognize that there was no wall in the garden of Eden. You know why? Adam and Eve were to be the wall. They were to keep the foe out. But they didn't do too good at keeping the foe out. God's plan is Eden, a place where Satan has no moral access. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said that's God's plan. His people in a place where Satan has no access. We're going there. Revelation 21 and 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But the only people there, help me out, Brother Rob, are those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm going there. I said, I'm going there. Come on, anybody want to go to heaven? Anybody want to go to that city where there's a wall? Anybody want to go to that place where there is no tears, no lying, no sin? Nothing that defiles. Oh, let's love him right now. Let's love Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We have established that everything in this world which includes the things of this world are under the curse of death. Everybody shout death. death. Well, that wasn't a shout. Death. There you go. Everybody shout death. death. That's a shout. 
We've also established that we are in the world. Brother Kyle did a beautiful job, but we're not of the world. We handle every minute of the day things that are dying. We handle every minute of every day things that are perishing, evil things and neutral things. Now, I'm not just talking about bad things. I'm talking about things that aren't inherently bad. But those things that are neutral can even cause us to lust, whether it's of the eyes of the flesh or engender pride in our lives. So the answer is not running away because we're in the world. We traffic every day in things that are perishing, that have a curse of death on them. We had it just a minute ago. We had the offering and we walked around and dropped our money. Make no mistake about it, that that stuff in your wallet is perishing. It's losing value by the moment. And while you're doing everything to guard it, make more of it. Make no doubt about it, it's a perishing world. Matthew chapter 11 verse 18. For John came, listen to this, John came and he didn't eat nor did he drink. And they said, he has a devil. Verse 19, the son of man comes eating and drinking. And they said, the religious folks said, he's a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Do you notice what he's saying here? John said, I'm going to stay away from everything that people would get offended with. So he didn't eat nor drink. And you know what they said? He's got a devil. And when Jesus came, he did exactly the opposite. You know what? If the man that didn't eat nor drink was a devil, then the guy eating drinking should have been the opposite of that. But you know what they said about him? He's a gluttonous wine-bibber. In other words, whether they ate or they didn't eat, it wasn't going to make any difference in this world's judgment. Did you hear what I'm saying right now? The holiness is not about what you eat or what you don't eat. Oh, no, you're not hearing me. Amen. Holiness is not about what you eat or you don't eat. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Because John didn't eat, nor did he drink, and they called him a devil, and Jesus ate and drank, and they said, oh, he's eating with sinners, and eating with, he's eating with publicans, and he's a gluttonous and a wine bibber. You know, the answer is not trying to satisfy everything in this world. Have you ever noticed that the more you try to, okay, we're, we're an apostolic church. We're affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. But have you ever noticed how many strains of apostolic there is? There's WWE. World Wrestling Federation, mixed martial arts, and every one of them got some claim. The, re- the recent rift, well, we, we're not going to be a part of the UPC. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know why? Because of television. That's why. I'm talking about Jesus saying, Jesus said, John came and didn't eat. And you called him a devil. And I eat and you say I'm a drunkard. 
problem's not me and the problem's not John. It's you. Oh, you're, you're not hearing me. Oh, but I'm gonna preach on anyway. I'm not talking about a list of standards that if you do, you're holy. Now, we believe in standards, but I'm talking about something bigger than that. I'm talking, oh my God. Yeah, one of those fellows, I was preaching with him at a men's conference and he said, well, I just can't, you know, I just can't. We're, we're fixing to take television out of the manual. And I understand, I understand. I, I felt a little agitated about it myself. <laughs> I asked the dude, I said, you got a computer? Oh, sure. <laughs> I said, okay, then I, I just want to help you out with this. 80% of the internet is pornography. 80%. And you're telling me about all this stuff on TV and you got a computer in your house that you are two clicks away from anything you want to go see. See, if we're not careful, we'll get in a fight about what we're eating or what we're not eating. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. Ladies, if you want to show the world everything you got, you got a bigger problem than your dress length. No, I'm going to say it again. If you want to show the world half of your backside, you got bigger problems than a miniskirt. You got a heart problem. Come on, he's coming after a holy church. Yeah. So we're going to just go and start our own little deal. We start disagreeing about this or that. One of us is eating and the other one doesn't want to eat. Bless God, I, I got some of my buddies and we don't want to eat either. So we're leaving. We're going to make us an organization that doesn't eat. You folks that are eating, you're going to hell. You're not the real church. I've had people say about this church, and it's okay. They're going to take it up with God. Well, if they go there, I'd rather them go there than nowhere. So I started telling people, we're the last stop on the way to hell. In some people's eyes, bless God, I'd rather them go there than go nowhere. I've heard all kind of people say all kind of things about what we believe. They knew about more what we believe than my saints did. They haven't been through one life development class, but they know what we preach here. It's sad. Because if we quit eating, they're going to call us one thing. And if we start eating, they're going to call us something else. So you know what we ought to do? Forget what they call us. It doesn't matter. We're here to please the Lord. That's what we're here for. We're here to please the Lord. He's the Lord of this church. We're not trying to please other people. We're trying to please the Lord. Come on, let me hear some saints give the Lord praise right now. Come on. Yeah. 
Those real religious folks, those people went to church four times a day, prayed four times a day, and fasted two days a week. Jesus said it to them. Yeah, John came and he didn't touch anything you wanted him to touch and you said he was a devil. And I touch everything you prohibit and you call me a drunkard. We can't please you folks. Well, we're not trying to please you folks. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm talking about not loving the world. That's right. That's right. So let's get off this business. Is this, is this against what Brother Gene preaches? Listen, if it's, if it's going to draw you into the world, then stay away from it. Everybody okay? Colossians 2, wherefore if ye be dead with Christ? <laughs> now that's the question right there. If you're not dead, then that's the reason all this other stuff's going on. But if you're dead with Christ, from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? And then he says it. Oh God, oh man, I, come on. There you go. There it is. Paul said, listen, if you're dead with Christ, why do you need an ordinance that says don't touch this, don't eat that, and don't handle that? Some of you folks think because I don't preach against something that that makes it all right. Oh, uh uh-oh. I am coming on. I'm trying to go real slow so you can understand me. Listen, I want to tell you something. You can say what you want to. Well, there's nothing wrong with movies and there's nothing wrong with games and there's nothing wrong with this and there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? You have got into that dangerous area where you're saying, well, I don't think this will send me to hell. And Paul said, if you're buried with Christ, we don't need to give you rules of what to do and what not to do. If you're dead, you're going to stay away from the world. That's the point. If you're... uh, You, you have noticed that the world's advancing so fastly that I don't even know the sins to preach against anymore. You have noticed, I have no clue who the girl was singing at the concert in Manchester. I don't know what she sings to make these people so mad. I have no idea who she is. I don't know one of her songs. Now, if you want me to preach against Leonard Skinner. ACDC, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Fog Hat, Little River Band, the Doobie Brothers. You want me to preach against Van Halen, Sticks, Chicago, Boston? And I could go on and on. I know those people. But I have no clue who these people are now. But I don't need a list of people to tell you who not to listen to. Why do you need a list? Well, I never heard Brother Gene preach against this. You know, maybe, maybe there's a reason I don't know who they are and what they're singing. It's because I've, I've spent too much time on the mountain. I don't care what that harlot's doing. 
My God, if they start talking about my daughters like that and what they're going to do to my daughters and what they want to shake in front of my daughters and what they want my daughters to shake out on the floor, it makes me sick. And you listen to that junk. Well, Brother Gene, I just like it. Well, you like it for a reason. You're worldly. Yeah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. Paul said, if you're dead with Christ, you don't need rules. Yeah. Handle not, touch not, taste not, handle not. Which all are to perish with the using. Look at that. He said, even the rules are handling dying stuff. Did you see that? All the stuff... The touch not, the taste not, and the handle not. They're all perishing with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom. Look at that. Look at that. It says when people start talking about what you shouldn't touch and what you shouldn't handle, that they make a show of how smart they are. You know what that does? That brings glory to us. Look what we don't touch. Look what we don't eat. And that's the same worldly system that the harlot has. We sang that old song last Wednesday night. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look fully in His wonderful face what happens the things of this world. Paul said, yeah, this is fancy preaching and this really... This really impresses people because it makes a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Paul says if you're dead with Christ, you don't need thou shalt and thou shalt not. There are people in this church and associated with this church that because the pastor doesn't call them every week when they're absent, they get offended. Listen, I shouldn't tell you you have to be at church if you're dead with Christ. I shouldn't even have to encourage you saints to do what saints are supposed to do when you're in church. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to hit it. Some of you folks are more interested in what I preach about happening outside these doors, but I need to preach to you about what you should do when you're in these doors. In other words, the altar is fair game for you. You can raise your hand every once in a while. It'd be nice to see you do a little jig every once in a while. I just don't know how holy Brother Gene is because I never heard him preach against anything. Well, the first thing I'm going to preach for is you being a prayer and you being a worshiper. Why don't you focus on doing that? What should I do when I'm here? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Paul said we are in Mount Zion when we come here. You ought to read that paragraph because you would realize 
what is going on in this room when God's people gather together is a heavenly thing. The spirits of just men made perfect are in this room. The Bible says an innumerable company of angels are in this room. (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to miss my opportunity to show them what I really love and what I'm dedicated to. I'm in the presence of the King of Kings. And if what Paul said is going on in this room, if we do have an innumerable company of angels in this room, I need to remind you of what they left when they came here. They left a place where continually it is said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the atmosphere they came from. I don't want them to be wondering why I'm not worshiping. I don't want them to wonder about my affection. Oh, come on, somebody worship the Lord right now. Love not the world. Yep, I am preaching out of what I know. Because there's somebody that's not here tonight because I hadn't kicked them in the rear end enough. That's right. Brother Gene, I just need you to kick me in the rear end more often. No, you need to kick yourself in the rear end more often. Oh, I started to say, make no mistake about it. I've thought about it a time or two. I've wanted to. Took every bit of Holy Ghost in me to keep from kicking you in the rear end. That just shows you. (laughs) Well, I don't know what it shows you. It didn't take too many times my mama kicking me in the rear end to make me realize that church was what it was all about. I remember songs like, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. (laughs) See, a, a cage doesn't change a tiger. We can put you in a cage and feed you the right stuff and pet you every once in a while and call you good kitty. But you know what? When the cage is finally opened, you're still a meat-eating tiger and you're going to hurt somebody. Our deliverance from the world begins with our seeing with God's eyes that this world is under the sentence of death. This world is dying. Are you hearing me? That stuff you're drinking, it's got death on it. That stuff you're smoking, it's got death on it. Young people, that stuff you're messing with is sentenced to die. And it's got all your attention. You're focused on it. You can't even pray without even thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I I close. (laughs) Or I try to. We began tonight with a description of two cities, Babylon 
and the new Jerusalem. And I'm not going to read it all, but in Revelation chapter 18, we find the fall of Babylon. Everybody say the fall of Babylon. I want to tell you something right now. I want to tell you something, young people, old people, game players, young and old alike. Babylon's coming down. Everything that's got your attention is going to die and perish. There's another old song that goes like this. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Anybody hear what I'm saying? It concerns me when you're more concerned about stuff that's dying than where life is found. Yeah, it ought to concern me as a pastor. I'd be disturbed if I didn't care. It concerns me when this world has more attention from you than the things of God. Yes. But we began tonight with a description of Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. And in Revelation 18, we are described the fall of Babylon. But don't forget, one chapter earlier, we find out why Babylon is ultimately going to fall. In Revelation 17 and 14, it's because Babylon made war with the Lamb. I want to tell you right now, this world is at war with the God you say you love. Your movies are at war with the God you come in here and worship on Sunday. No, I'm going to say that again. Your games are at war with the God you declare you love. Your music is at war with the God you say you worship. Babylon is at war with the Lamb, not with the church. With the Oh, Babylon hates God. It's going to try to take him down. But I want to tell you what, the Lamb's going to overcome. Come on. I know the kingdoms of our, this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord. The Lamb is going to overcome. Oh, somebody give God praise right now. So in, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, so sure is her destruction that it's announced as if it's already happened. Babylon the Great is fallen. I want you to hear it because it's going to happen in the coming days. Babylon the Great is fallen. She's coming down. Yeah. Some of you missing church because Babylon has your attention. But Babylon's falling. Everybody okay? Let me just give you this little piece of advice. If right then you said in your mind, is he talking to me? I'm talking to you. Revelation 18, 4. The call of God's people in every age. The call of God's people in every age in Revelation 18.4 is to come out from Babylon. Take no part of her. Come out from her. Why? Because she's fixing to be judged. 
She's fixing to die because she's got a death sentence on her. Don't have anything to do with her. Come out from her. I heard another voice from heaven say, come on, there's a voice saying, Babylon is falling. And there's another voice saying, come on, God's people, get out. You could hear it tonight. That's right. I wish somebody else would scream it. It's time to get out of this world. It's time to leave her. Come out from her, my people. Don't be partakers of what she's involved in because if you partake of what she loves, you're going to partake of her plagues. Revelation 18.8, make no mistake about it, her judgment is coming quickly. Listen, quickly, quickly. In other words, all these people that say, well, when I know the Lord's about to come, I'm going to get in there and really straighten up. No, you're not going to have time to do that. You better do it now. Because Revelation 18.8 says it comes in one hour and one day. It's coming that fast. Did you hear me? Her judgment is coming in one hour. And in the next section of those verses, verses 9 through 20, we see the kings of this world lamenting, the merchants lamenting, the seafaring men lamenting. You see that. I don't want to take the time to read it, but the kings, these are those she seduced and she gave them power. And now that Babylon is destroyed, you know what? She's the one that gave them their power. Guess what happens when Babylon is destroyed? They have no power. (laughs) Doesn't matter who they are. Merchants, they're filled with the goods of Babylon and because of Babylon, they got to make money and trade and do what they do. But now Babylon is destroyed, guess what? Now their goods and their cargo are worthless. The Bible goes on to say seafaring men. You know what that is? That's exporters and importers. And when Babylon falls, now their business is worthless. Don't you see it? Everything in this world that's built on Babylon is gonna come crumbling down in one hour. I don't know about you, but I'm lifting up my head. I'm looking up because my redemption draws near. We see the power structure of fallen kings. We see the economic structure of fallen merchants and exporters and importers. And it's going to happen in one hour. The power's coming down and the economic structure is coming down. In Revelation 18 verse 20, you know what happens when that takes place? Listen, listen. When that power falls and the things of this world go silent. Revelation 18, 20. I want you, if you can put that up there, Sister Faith, I appreciate it. Look, rejoice. Rejoice in heaven. Heaven begins to rejoice. We'll understand it better by and by. When the things of this world come crashing down, heaven begins to rejoice. Then beginning with verse 21, something is said that is striking. Listen. Starting with verse 21, Sister Faith, you don't have to, unless you want to, you can just go with it. I don't know where these these verses start in verse 21. But the phrase appears six times, no more at all. Six times occurs starting in verse 21. And it says, no more at all will there be any more Babylon. No more Babylon. No more music. Did, Did you hear me? The stuff you're bumping to and grinding to, the stuff you're twerking to. Yeah, all that stuff. I'm not too old to know what twerking is. 
all that stuff you're doing, all that twerkiness to, it's going to come to a screeching halt. Yeah. No more babbling. No more music. Everybody say silence. Silence. Babbling is falling, so babbling doesn't have any more songs. Look at that. No more craftsmen. No more craftsmen. No more sound of the millstone. Anybody know what happened at the millstone? Grinding. You know what that meant? Basic needs of life. Flour and cornmeal. That's no more grinding. No more basic needs of life. Listen, all the stuff you survive on is going to come to a screeching halt. No more light of the lamp. That means complete darkness. And this is the worst epitaph of all. If that weren't enough, no babbling, no music, no craftsman, no, no food, no light. But look at the last one. No more voice of the bridegroom. Did you hear that? Who's the bridegroom? Jesus is the bridegroom. And then it not only says, will the voice of the bridegroom be silent, it says the voice of the bride will go silent. You better answer the call right now while the bride is still saying, whosoever will, let him come. You better come to the altar now while the bride's still saying something because there will come a day when there'll be no more bride saying, come on, the altar's open. Somebody say amen. amen. Chapter 19 begins. Listen, chapter 18, Babylon is fallen. Chapter 19 begins with the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know why the voice of the bridegroom and the bride is silent? Because the bride's not here anymore. Revelation chapter 22 tells us that John says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that are thirst say, Come. Listen, that voice is still going out right now. But there'll come a day that the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride go silent. Listen, it's time now to turn your eyes on Jesus. Your job's not near as important as Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something else to you. Your family's not near as important as your relationship to Jesus Christ. When I don't want to do anything to offend my family, and you're offending the Lord God of heaven while you're saying it. Jesus said, I've come to put a sword between fathers and sons and brothers and daughters. Yeah, you know what? Take this whole world. Give me Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. So in chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. Babylon fell when her champions made war with the Lamb. And when by his death and resurrection, he overcame them, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to this. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, everything belonging to this world is under the sentence of death. That happened at the cross. Everybody say, that happened at the cross. When Jesus died, a sentence of death passed upon this world. There is no salvation from the world that does not start with this revelation at the cross. At the cross. How many times have we tried to escape the world by running from it? Only to discover how much we love it and how much it loves us. But I want to tell you something, friend. We lose our interest and the world loses its grip on us as soon as it dawns on us that the world and the things of this world 
are doomed. In fact, Paul in Galatians, and I close with this verse. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, these two verses. Paul in Galatians 6 verse 14, he says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the next part of it? If I'm going to glory, I'm glorying at the cross. By whom? What? The cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I to the world. I'm a dead man. The world's dead to me and I'm dead to the world. Oh, Brother Gene, you just don't know how tempted I am. Look, dead men, the world has nothing for them and the world doesn't want them. I'm crucified to the world, and the world's crucified to me. Yeah. Verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a what? A new creature. That's right. Notice two statements concerning this world. I've been crucified to the world, and that's easy to understand. I've been crucified to the world. But notice the second phrase, the world has been crucified to me. What that means is when Jesus impacts your life, in fact, it happened, it happened when I was standing in that baptistry and my pastor raised me up out of that water. My eyes were closed, but I remember the emphatic vision I saw of Jesus hanging on the cross. But you know what? It wasn't just him hanging there. It was him there. In my place. <laughs> I was hanging on that cross. I deserved that death, but He took it for me. And what He showed me when He filled me with the Holy Ghost, He showed me me on the cross. <laughs> Yet not I, but Christ. He showed me that that should have been me there, but he took the blame for all of my sin and I left that encounter. I'm telling you, I left that night saying that if he would give his life for me, then I'm going to give my life to him. The world, was I was crucified that night unto the world. But not only do we need to see that, we need to see that he wants to show us our world on that cross too. <laughs> that the world has a sentence of death on it. And if you and I cannot escape the judgment of the cross, which you cannot, if you're going to be saved, you must come to the cross. Then neither can the world escape the judgment of the cross. Yeah. Judgment's coming on this world. Those Jews said it. His blood be on us and on our children and on our grandchildren. Yeah, fact of the matter is, His blood's going to be on the hands of everybody in this world. How shall we escape if we what? Neglect. Have I really seen this? The world and the things in the world are cursed. Every st all that stuff you love, all that stuff you think you can't live without, it's cursed. I said it's cursed. And when I died at the cross, I died to myself and I died to the things of this world. 
And Paul said, not only am I crucified to the world, but the world is crucified to me. Oh, for people of God that would live that. Come on, let's stand together right now. And I want you to reach over. I think it would be appropriate right now.